of us has certain attributes, qualities, strengths that others do not have. And if we each one of us were to focus and appreciate the blessings of Allah that we have, we would never become ungrateful. Rather, we would be grateful for what we have and be extremely thankful for these blessings. Beloved brothers, what happens is sometimes that the person looks at his, the blessings he has and instead of becoming grateful to Allah, he or she regards themselves to be superior to all others because in one small aspect of life, they find themselves to be superior than others. And instead of attributing that, superior, that blessing towards Allah Azza wa Jal, they, they make a huge mistake by attributing that to themselves and then which eventually leads them through debasing others and arrogance. And this person is now, will not be able to enter Jannah until their heart is cleansed from this arrogance. Then the, so this is one problem. The, others, the other flip side of this is some people look at the blessings of others and they don't look at their own blessings. And then they start suffering an inferiority complex which eventually leads them to become ungrateful to Allah which is also another major sin. Kufran and ni'mah, they become ungrateful to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala which also then paves their path towards Allah forbid hellfire. So these are two major flaws that people end up in. One is to completely uh, regard the blessings or the um, strengths we have as our own and attribute that to ourselves and begin, begin to look down upon others who don't have that one specific thing that we have, which leads to arrogance and so forth. The other major mistake that people do is to completely ignore the few things that Allah has given us that He has not given to those around us. And so instead of becoming grateful for that, we keep on focusing at what others have and not what we have. And this leads to comparing ourselves with others and then leading to ingratitude. So both of these are things we must stay away from, ingratitude and arrogance. So what is the middle path? What is the correct path? Is that we count our blessings and attribute that to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Whenever we feel down, we feel we did bad on a test. Okay? So now everyone else is saying, oh look at man, I got an 85, I got a 90, I got an 95. A person's got a 60 or a 50. Okay, yes, it's a, it seems like a kind of gloomy period for us. But then at that immediately at that moment, we should start focusing on some of the blessings that Allah has given you. That's the time to think that what do I have that others don't have? And if we seriously, all of us take a moment, we can think of 10 things right now that what I have, the person next to me doesn't have. All of us do. I remember one day I was with my Ustad, Madinatul Munawwara, and I was expressing some, some aspects, you know, some frustrations to him. And after listening to it, he told me, you know, you know what, the problem, those frustrations are correct in their own place, but you're being ungrateful. I said, subhanAllah, how is that? He said, if you, if you think about how many things Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has given you, then in terms of these frustrations, they are nothing. And the, issue, the things that cause this frustration. So then he said, let's do, do wudu, let's go to the haram. So we did wudu, this was around 10.30 a.m. We went to the, and we went to Masjid al-Nabawi, alayhi salatu wasalam. And we walked towards the Riyadh al-Jannah. This is pre-COVID era where you could just go in. Alright? So we went to the Riyadh al-Jannah and you know, at that time you could go in, yes, but not, oh, you wouldn't always find a spot, even at 11 a.m. But alhamdulillah, within minutes of arrival, maybe the ladies had just left, the, the veils, the parda and the wall had just been removed, and alhamdulillah, we were able to walk right in. We were just within minutes. 
and he uh, started his salat, salatul duha, tahiyatul masjid, whatever it may have been. I was about to start salah, and a brother came, uncle, an elderly uncle, started saying something to me. And in Arabic, I didn't understand what he was saying. So then I said, what are you saying? In Arabic, I asked him, what are you saying? And then he repeated it. We are where? We are in Riyadh al-Jannah. An elderly person. And he's asking me, he says, Aina qabrul rasul? That's when I figured out what he's saying. He said, where is the grave of the Prophet? With the grave of the Prophet, literally is the distance between me and this window here. Right? That's it. So now, I told him, ha huna, ha huna, right here. We're right in front. This is it. He said, oh, this is it. He says, yes. He thanked me, and you know, moved on. Immediately, what thought came to my mind is, how true are the words of my ustad? That yes, I'm from America. Yes, I was born and raised in a non-Muslim land. Right? But subhanAllah, here is a man whose original language is not only Arab, Arabic, but who is definitely from the Muslim lands, who is much closer to the grave of the Prophet ﷺ, the city of the Prophet ﷺ, than I am. And he's much, much, much older than me. But the poor man had never an opportunity to come visit the city. And he is absolutely, he's absolutely clueless about, if, if he's clueless about where the Prophet ﷺ's grave is, do you think he knows the Ustuwanas? Do you think he knows which pillar means what? And do you think he knows the history of Masjid al-Nabawi? Do you think he knows the history of where exactly the mihrab of the Prophet ﷺ was? Do you think he knows the history of Safa? He knows the history of Ustuwana Aisha? Right? Does he know the history of the expansion of the masjid that happened in the time of Uthman anhu, and going up all the way to the Ottoman expansion and going to the King Fahad expansions and the ones that happened, you know, the renovations that happened afterwards? Uh, does he know the fadail and the virtues of Salawat ala Nabi ﷺ in this spot? What is Riyadh al-Jannah itself? That wasn't even a discussion by the way. It was just where's the grave of the Prophet ﷺ? What about Riyadh al-Jannah? Well, where the place you're asking me this? No! And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has blessed this sinful small servant of his who lives in a faraway country, born far away from any masjid, far away from any Islamic land. But he's blessed this sinful soul. So many opportunities to go visit those blessed lands and lead so many people. Subhanallah, I got my answer right there. That really, if I think about this one small, one, one, not this, it's a massive blessing, but it's one aspect of a, massive, of a life filled with so many different dimensions. When you think about that blessing, really who's got time to sit there and, and cry and, and lament over other things? Be grateful and smile and, and enjoy and be happy for the blessings that you have. I remember once again, a similar type of incident happened with me in Makkah al-Makarramah. We was the time of Dhuhr Salah, right before Dhuhr began, the Dhuhr Jama'ah or Dhuhr Adhan. And I was reciting Quran. In the Haram in Makkah, in the first floor, the Kaabatullah was in front. And an elderly man, again, next to me, also Arab, was, was just staring at me, right? And after a while, subhanAllah, when I put the Mus'haf away, he looked at me and started speaking to me in his... Uh, in, in a very strong uh, village-like dialect from the, you know, like there was a Baddu, uh, from some from reef, from far away from the city, you could tell. And he honestly just told me, he said, this is, I'm 80, so I was about 80 years old. He said, it's my first time over here. I see you're reading Arabic. You're reading Quran so fluently. And then he honestly just told me, he said, I know nothing besides Qulullahuahad. I know nothing besides Qulullahuahad. And he wanted to share that. And Allah Azza wa Jalla showing me, Allahu Akbar. Yani, what type of blessings? Which type of blessings we all have? So, if you, all of us, we need these moments in our life to simply reflect on what we all have, what others don't have. And use that as a moment not to think of ourselves to be superior to anyone, but rather to be humbled that I don't deserve these blessings. 
Yet Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, notwithstanding my inability and incapability and my weakness and my weak, meekness and my sins, has des- des- destined to bless me with these things which I don't deserve. So, The only thing I should be doing is should have my head bowed down in front of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in sujood, thanking Him for the blessing I have. My beloved um, friends, this is what we talk about the fitna. This entire life is a fitna. Every one of us is a fitna for another person. Think about it. The person who's got a fully paid off, mashallah, vehicle, $25,000 vehicle, he's enjoying it, he's got great, all his needs are being fulfilled. Then he sees a $60,000 vehicle parked next to him. And he's getting out of the car, he sees something. All of a sudden what happens? Oh man, that looks nice. You, you don't know that this brother, he might have borrowed it from someone. He may have just, you know, took out a loan for his first monthly payment. He doesn't even own a 5% of that car. Which you, you mashallah, you have a fully paid car. What are, you are not, he's not enviable, you're enviable. But shaitan, what happens? He makes us present everything that the other people have as more juicy, as more interesting, as more nice. I remember one physician many years ago, there was a small fundraiser in a small, small little town. All these senior physicians were there, and subhanAllah, they looked at the project, the Darul Salaam project, and it's like, ah, mashallah, good, whatever. Maybe some, most of them gave nothing. Some gave 100, 200. One brother, mashallah, I still remember, he gave $5,000. It was a big thing. You know, 2009 or eight or something like that. And he was the youngest of all the doctors. So then, I was amazed at that. I remember, mashallah, this is amazing. Then he told me one thing. He said, you know, he said, I live in an apartment. I pay, I, month to month, I rent, pay rent. I live in a simple, small, I drive a very simple car. And the physicians of my town, they say, you are a, uh, you know, you are, you are actually a source of uh, disgrace for us. Because you, we feel shy inviting you over to our, even our house with the simple car that you drive. And to be associated with you, there's someone who lives in an apartment and who drives such a simple car, it doesn't fit in our social circle. He told me this. He said, this is the, uh, the way I'm ostracized by my people of my own profession. And I said, subhanAllah, look at the people of your profession who are 20 years senior to you, who have probably 10 times more wealth than you. You're just starting up. But look at the difference, how Allah Azza wa accepted from you 10 times than what He has accepted from any of them. This is, it's, it's, you know, it's a give and take. A person who's, who, who's destined, for, who thinks of the akhirah, his lifestyle is different. And the one who lives only for this dunya, his lifestyle is different. So here you have, he says, why should I purchase, why should I move into a home which I don't own? He said, I plan to have my own house, but I'm going to save up money for that. It'll be a matter of years, I'll save up and I'll get a house. But I'm not going to stay in a house that I don't own. I'd rather just pay month to month rent. Yes, financially, many of you sitting here may say, oh, that doesn't make sense. Well, that's you and your math, you can do whatever you want. But he's working at a different level. Right? He says, subhanAllah, if I pass away today, I don't want to have any loans. Right? His mindset is different. And he said, this mindset is what inspires him to give sadaqah. The other mindset that says, no, I need to live at my social status, not what I own, but by my social status. What happens? A person can't even give sadaqah, even though he has so much. Because why? He's always worried about trying to impress people of that social circle. So this is the fitna that we have one another. Then look at these people, perfect example. They thought that this other fellow physician was a musibah for them. That they didn't want to hang out with him. They don't want him to be invited to their house driving that simple car. Allah Azza wa has made all of us a fitna for one another. Fitna does not mean musibah, like difficulty, like it's horrible. No, fitna means a test. Test can be great. Say, uh, 
You're, you study hard and you have an exam year end. You're excited. Why? Because I'm going to graduate to the next year. I'm, gonna, I'm inshallah going to be a valedictorian in my class and I'm going to have an A plus and so forth. And I'm going to move on to the next grade. So those who study hard are looking forward to their exams. Does not mean, exam is not musibah. It's just a man, it's an opportunity for you to prove yourself that of how well you've studied. On the other hand, there's a person who did not study the whole year and, 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 and played around. Even the night of, he's playing around. So then of course the exam is a musibah because he's going to fail. So the dunya, when we talk about fitna, does not automatically mean difficulty. Fitna simply means a test. It could work very beneficial for you, or it could become a musibah for you. And so Allah Azza wa says, إِنَّمَا أَمْوَالُكُمْ وَأُولَادُكُمْ fitna." Indeed, your wealth and your children are a fitna. Doesn't mean that we should hate our children. Does not mean we should hate our wealth. It just simply means if Allah has given you wealth, and Allah has given you children, make sure you utilize, you utilize these blessings in the correct manner. And it should not happen that these blessings are wasted away only for material gain. And a person does not plan how he can enjoy the akhirah. My dear friends, the Sahaba, the Rasulullah Sallallahu was a fitna for the kuffar. How so? Because they said, Why isn't this Quran revealed unto a noble, wealthier, rich person from either Mecca or Ta'if? Why is it revealed to a simple prophet? Oh, who doesn't have much? Who doesn't have much to eat? That was a fitna time and again. They kept on bringing up the issue that the Prophet ﷺ did not have enough material things. We talked about that from the, from the beginning of this surah. Why don't you have gardens? Why don't you have angels front and, and center around you? Why don't you have uh, you know, a, a, a treasure chest laden with uh, you know, gold and silver and so forth behind you? Kanz. Why not? So the fact that Rasulullah was simple, the fact that Rasulullah was simple and didn't have much, it became a fitna. You know what this reminds me of? This reminds me of all those simple ulama who have their simple topi and the simple kurta. And it reminds you of all those simple madrasa students who dress in a very simple manner. But if they say something beneficial, there are people of the dunya who will spit at them, who will not look at them. They say, who are you? Who do you think you even have the right to open your mouth and say something? Look at yourself. That's what they'll say. What do you mean look at myself? I'm wearing two pieces of nice, clean, white clothes. The sunnah of the Prophet ﷺ. What am I supposed to look at? But no. The fact that you're not wearing this type of suit and that type of expensive clothing means you're not worthy of our time. And this is one of the beautiful statements of Mulana. If I remember, it's of Mulana Yusuf Kandil, wi rahmatullahi alayhi. If I remember correctly, his or his father's, Mulana Ilyas's. And he said something about this effort of da'wah and tabliq that happens across the globe in all continents of the world, mashallah. He, he said something powerful. He said, He said, The simplicity of this work has led people to fall into delusion about the effectiveness and the power of this work. Because it looks so simple. Where's your flyer? Where's your PowerPoint? Where's your tools? Where's your setup? What are you telling me? You're just carrying a, 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 a pillow and a sheet and a miswak and a kurta and, and what you call it, a few books with you? That's it? And you're out for a year? What's that supposed to mean? Where's all your gadgets? Where's your camper? Right? Where's your you know, running shoes and, and tennis shoes and, and another 10 shoes? And where's all your suit and boot and where's your tie and everything else? The simplicity that how could a people dress so simple, walking so simple, have an effect on the world that is to be reckoned with. That's the reality of it. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala put the effectiveness of it in its simplicity. Just like the prophets were the most effective people. You know, the highest return on investment is who? The prophets, right? The highest return within 23 years, how did Rasulullah change this world? Right? Who would ever thought about that? 
Was there any sophistication over there? Was there lights and camera over there? Or was it just straight up absolutely simple where Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa is sitting there, anyone who comes, you know, he, everyone's welcome. There's no guard there. There's no security there. There's no agent there. There's no one making appointments. Everything is, the door is open. Anytime you want to come, any jariya, any girl could grab the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa Ya Rasulullah, I want to talk to you. Okay. Yes. Think about that. That's our Nabi. Our Nabi is the one who brought the biggest change the world has ever seen in a matter of 23 years. What others could not do in 2,000 years. He did it with all his simplicity. He did it with being down to earth. He did it with being approachable. He did it without all sophisticated things that today we demand for. Yes, every statement of his, yes, every action of his was filled with godly inspired wisdom. So don't think that anything was haphazard. Nothing is haphazard. Every move of his was, of course, every statement of his, every utterance of his was divinely inspired. So I'm not saying you don't plan. I'm not saying you don't think, you don't uh, you, you know, uh, write things out. Of course we do all of that. But stop thinking that in order for someone to be worthy of your time, in order for someone to have an effect on this world, that they need to be wearing a $2,000 suit. That they need to be driving a $90,000 car. And logi kete, people say this. Said, so, if you don't wear a certain type of clothing, if you don't wear this type of, drive this type of car, you know, people don't listen. I mean, subhanAllah, this statement, it gives me the shivers, man. If, if, if people, are you going to impress people with what you wear? That goes completely contrary to our sunnah. Because the Anbiya والسلام, they did not impress people by what they wore. They did not impress people even with, with very with, uh, flowery words. Instead, Rasulullah has prohibited us to use flowery words. He, he, he spoke against those who speak with a full mouth. Takallufan. You know what I mean? Mubharke. Right? With takallufan, with absolute, uh, you know, tasannu. Every single word of theirs is like a, an act. A'udhu billahi minash shaitanir rajeem. That's what's happening today. Right? It's all scripted, it's an act. Recently someone is asking me about what happens on stage and what happens off stage, etc. And I said, listen, public speaking in reality is an act. It's like a com comedian. He's up on stage doing a comedy act. Don't expect him to be the same person when he gets off the stage. Unfortunately, slowly we are going towards that. Where the podium, the stage, the member is a place of acting. When a person throws on an act, and as long as you're in that room, in that space, then uh, the act will continue. But once you're off stage and the mic is off and the lights are off, things may go 180 and change in a complete different direction. Just understand that. That's why I don't put people at a, pedestal, at a, at a level that they, don't, they shouldn't be at. Just Rasulullah sallam, the Sahaba, alhamdulillah. That's it, right? Anyone and everyone after that can make major blunders and mistakes. Don't let your iman go down the drain. If someone you looked up to and someone you listen to their talks and lectures, you hear something that you don't like, you see something that you don't like, I'm sorry, this is the era, we gotta have a warning about it uh, from beforehand. Train yourself to say, I'll take from the speech and that's it. Right? Because I may hear something, I see something that I don't like, and that should not be a representation of Islam. Because it's not. It's not. It's just simply put it on, it's, it's an act. Sometimes, not everyone falls into this category. Obviously, our, our mashayikh and our elders who we benefited from, may Allah reward them, give them long life and health, and, uh, and allow the likes of them to continue to have a long life in this world, and allow us all to benefit from them. Alhamdulillah, in and out is the same. There was no act per se, right? Whether they're in classroom or at home. Whether they're giving a speech, or they're taking a stroll, 
right? Whether you sit with them in the car and go from one place to the other, you will never see nifaq. You will never see dhulwajain. You won't see opposite things. I'll tell you, I've never experienced that. Never. Alhamdulillah. From all the time I traveled with my teachers, from all the time I spent time with their homes, from all the time I was with them in private gatherings, never saw anything at all, even one person different than what they were in public. And this is beautiful. This is where the dua comes in. Allah maj'al sarirati khayra min alaniyati waj'al alaniyati saliha. Oh Allah, make my, inter- make my internal aspects of my life beautiful. Alright? Rather, no. Allah maj'al sarirati khayra min alaniyati. Oh Allah, make my internal aspects of my life better than my external aspects. Make my, my internal aspects better than my external aspects. Waj'al alaniyati saliha. And make my external also beautiful. So you want to ask Allah to make internally that we become better than what we seem to be from outside. And what we seem to be outside should also be very beautiful and very good and connected with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So the idea is all of this is a fitna. When you look at someone who is pious and righteous but doesn't have much money or is very simple and if you, Allah forbid, or I degrade them in my heart to say, who are these people? Look, they can't speak English. Brother, if, you can, if someone doesn't speak English how do you, and you speak English, how does that make you superior to them? Think about that. Do you know how to speak fluent, classical, fusha, Urdu, or Arabic, or Farsi? If you don't, so then what do you all of a sudden start thinking of yourself inferior? Since when does speaking language, a language of English, make a person, how, since how does that become, how does that become the sign of ilm? That if you speak fluent English, then you must be a scholar. And if you don't speak English, then we're not, we're not going to waste our time with you because you're a jahil. That's what it is. That's genuinely, that's what's, that's what's going outside. Oh, come on. Who, brother, Yani, do you have any idea? Yani, uh, language is just a means of communication. Same thing I'll say for Arabic. Just because someone knows how to speak Arabic, does not mean he is knowledgeable in any sense of the word. Abu Lahab and Abu Jahal's Arabic, all the Arabic departments of the world cannot create a man like that. So speaking Arabic itself does not all of a sudden, speaking, spoken Arabic does not make a person all of a sudden knowledgeable. This is our problem that we give. We look at these languages and we say, someone who speaks uh, English very fluently, he's got to be a scholar. Someone who speaks Arabic very fluently, he's got to be a scholar. On what basis? On what basis? I say that because people judge me and people like me based on that. They say, oh, you speak very good English, so you must be. First of all, who said I speak very good English? But nonetheless, say, oh, they're comparing it to the previous khatib or previously. So you must be a scholar. No. How do you make a judgment call like that? Or you speak fluent fusha. How, that, that doesn't mean anything. That does not mean I have knowledge. These are not the way you measure knowledge. First of all, we don't even have the tools to measure knowledge because you need to be in the field to understand. But these are mistakes that society is making today. As, as our Ustad, one of our teachers would say, he'd say, it's not, it is not a deficiency in a scholar, Urdu-speaking scholar, that he doesn't speak English. Rather, it's our deficiency that we haven't learned this language to understand his speech. Because after Arabic language, most definitely in the current era, Urdu is at the top in terms of what? In terms of the amount of khidmah that's being done of deen. In terms of fatawa. In terms of commentaries and of hadith. In terms of tafasir that are being written. It's unbelievable what's written in Urdu. Unbelievable. That in the past hundred years, the type of knowledge that has come out from the subcontinent. And this is the father of Allah. He has used Medina for some time. Then he has used Kufa for some time. He has used Damascus for some time. He has used Mawara'un Nahar for some time. Bukhara, Samarqand, all these places. He has used Dili for some time. He has used Hyderabad for some time. All these places have been used for different uh, eras to produce ilm and ulama and, 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 and libraries and, and books and so forth. And so 
Wherever the knowledge is, go for it. You cannot allow yourself to say, well, I am going to have this ta'asub, that I am, I, am, oh, I am from this country, hence I'm going to only learn that language. doesn't work like that. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala can give prominence to any country, to any language. All the languages belong to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Whatever He uses, he, he may choose whatever He uses. My point of mentioning this is, do not downgrade and degrade any Urdu-speaking scholar or any Arabic-speaking scholar because you don't know that language. This is absolutely incorrect way of assessing ulama. That no, if they, if I am, this is the height of arrogance. That the world rotates around us Americans, and uh, rotates around me. And if someone speaks my language, I'm going to respect him. And if they don't speak my language, then they, they are of, of no use. So this, fit, this is a fitna. These are examples I'm telling you of a fitna. More easier, more obvious things are, a healthy person is a fitna for a sick person And a sick person is a fitna for a healthy person uh, A, a uh, elder person is fitna for a younger one A younger one is a fitna for an elder one How annoyed do you get of people? If you're a senior, you're looking at a youngster making noise Are you getting annoyed by him? That's a fitna A youngster says, man, why is this elder keeps on looking at me and saying keep quiet? That's a fitna for the youngster So all of us, everyone around us And obviously, all of you are waiting for the example The husband is a fitna for a wife And the wife is fitna for the husband No doubt, that's there so every time you go home and, you, and husbands and wives who are listening to me Understand that the one in front of you Your spouse is a fitna for you That doesn't mean again It's a musibah It's just Allah is going to test you Allah is testing you through him or her How well will you succeed in this test? How well do you navigate this scenario? And, and if you have to do shukr, you do shukr If you have to do sabr, you have to do sabr Difficulties will come Allah asks atasbiruna Will you be patient? And the hour Are you not going to be patient? And if you're trying to impress someone, remember, Allah is all watchful. So Allah is watching whether you're going to be patient or not. I think this is a very powerful ayah for us to reflect on. That's why I spend so much time on it. Because we, we think that my life is great except for my wife. Life is great except for my boss. Life is great except for my, that uncle. What we don't understand is that one uncle, that one husband, that one son-in-law, that one daughter-in-law, that's actually your door to Jannah. Everything is fine But that one individual is where the test comes in And that's exactly where we might be failing Because if everyone's smiling to you And sharing gifts with you eh, That's not a test The test comes in And when someone is being mean with you Harsh with you Difficult with you How do you handle that person? So when you say Everything in my life is fine Except with this situation Understand That that situation is where Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala Wants to see you succeed So if we understand the crux of this verse It will truly change the way we act and interact with one another. That we will always try our best to remain patient. And we'll always try to say that this is a challenge that has been sent to me from Allah. And inshallah, I'm going to win. I'm going to do well. I'm, going, I'm not going to lose my cool. I'm not going to lose my temper. I'm not going to cave in. Instead, I'm going to be resolute, strong, and we're going to make this thing work out. Imagine if every spouse thought about their spouse like this. That today he is in a bad mood. Today she's in a bad mood. Okay. Now if they're in a bad mood, that's their problem. But Allah is testing me. Allah is wanting to see how will I interact with this situation where I have a spouse that is upset. Moving on to the next ayah. Yet those who do not hope for our destined meeting on the day of judgment, قَالَ They say, Will not the angels be sent down to us with Allah's messages? Or are we not to see our Lord with our own eyes? Very, very truly they have grown so very arrogant within themselves. 
Thus they have insolently defied Allah with the greatest insolence. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in this verse is mentioning what those disbelievers who do not believe in the hereafter say. What do they say? They're not expecting to meet us. Why do they expect us to meet us? Because they are giving preference to the dunya over akhirah. There is one thing called ajila and one thing is called ajila. Ajila means something quick. That's this dunya. Ajila means something that comes later on. We got cash and credit. So cash is dunya, credit is akhirah. Those who give preference to uh, cash over credit, right? They want it now. They're the ones who don't expect, don't, are not looking forward to meeting Allah. Now, how do you meet Allah? Naturally, we're not going to be like the mujassima uh, and those who give Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala shape and a form billah, and say we're going to come face to face with Him in that sense. Nor are we going to be like the mu'tazila who will use logic in a wrong place and say, well, in order to meet someone, you have to, uh, uh, you know, you have to have uh, a, 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 you know, uh, you'll have a, you'll have to have shapes and you'll have to have uh, a beginning of a uh, of the jism and the end of the jism and you have to have a latitude and a longitude and all sorts of stuff that doesn't uh, that doesn't make sense hence meeting with allah it does not even happen or it's completely metaphorical so those are two extremes the middle thing is that why are you trying to again be arrogant and apply everything in your own mindset this is of a different a different place Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala nothing is resembles nothing is resembling to him so we, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala he has sam'a he has ability to hear but not like the way we hear he has basar he sees like we just said basira but not like the way we see he has the ability to, uh, to create but not like ours every single thing Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is above and beyond what you and I have these are words that are similar but the manifestation of it when it comes to the being of Allah Azza is far different and far removed from its manifestation within our lives. So hence, meeting with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala does not entail what happens when you meet one another. Right? So do not take this and use this as an analogy and to apply it with meeting with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. The, uh, the issue is Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala for example, he said, Musa salam said, Oh Allah, I would like to see you, right? Rabbi Arini, Andur Ilaik. Oh Allah, allow me to see you. Tarani. Oh Musa, you will never be able to see me in this world. Why? Not because I'm not going to be seen, it's because you don't have the capacity and the capability in this world to see me. The problem is not in the mar'a, the problem is not in the thing that is being beholden, it's rather the issue is in the weakness of the beholder. He doesn't have the ability to see that. So Allah says, how about I'll do tajalli? He said, Look, Rabbi Adini andur ilayk, qala lantarani, walakin andur ilal jabal. Look at this mountain. Fain istakara makanahu, fasofatarani. If the mountain, after my tajalli and the manifestation of my nur on it, if it can stay, stand, it, withstand it, then you will be able to see me. And if it cannot withstand me, you cannot. Falamma tajalla rabbuhu lil jabal. When Allah, yani, did it if it opened up his tajalli? Yani Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala manifested himself for the mountain in a manner that befits this scenario. What happened? That tajalli made the mountain into small, uh, uh, you know, dust. Made its dust. Instantaneously, the entire mountain became a huge dust ball. And Musa alayhi salam simply looking at the, at the mountain fell down unconscious. When he gained his conscience, قَالَ سُبْحَانَكَ 
Glory be to you. You're above and beyond being, being able to be uh, beholded or being able to be seen by a human naked eye or any other eye in this dunya. You're above that. Tubtu ilayk, I repent to you. I made a mistake. Right? But Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, He didn't say, Lan ura, I will never be seen. He said, Lan tarani, you will not be able to see me. Meaning, in this situation, in this dunya, you don't have the capacity to see me. Of course, in Akhirah, we have Wujuhi Yomaidin Nadira, Ila Rabbiha Nadira, that there will be faces that will be uh, gleaming with nur and light and will be, will be very fresh, Ila Rabbiha Nadira, and they will have the honor of seeing Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So, is it possible to meet Allah? Yes, in a manner that befits Him. A person will be able to enjoy Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala's countenance in a manner that befits Him in the Akhirah. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala actually mentions this as a punishment for the disbelievers. Listen, the disbelievers, they will be deprived of seeing Allah. That's the greatest deprival. That's the greatest punishment. So if the fact that this has been mentioned in Surah Al-Mutafifun as a punishment for disbelievers, that means being able to see Him will be possible. Otherwise, what does it mean that they'll be punished by being deprived from uh, you know, seeing Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So those people who are not pl- expecting to meet Allah because they didn't prepare to meet Allah, what do they say? They have to make excuses for why they don't believe in Allah. So they said again, why, will not angels be sent down with Allah's message? Re- repetition. Why is Rasulullah a human being? Why wasn't he an angel? Alright? Okay. Oh, nara rabbana. Why do we even need an angel? We want to see Allah face to face. He should say, I am your Lord and you need to believe me. Then we'll believe in him. Okay, so uh, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and he, you know, talks about the, 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 shirk, the, the, the arrogance of these mushrikeen as, 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 as angry as we may get as we listen to this that how crazy these people are unfortunately we have, we have stooped lower as a society much much lower than this because now at least those people would say there is one God like it's mentioned in one hadith that one of the uh, non-Muslims is asked how many gods do you believe in? And he became, was, later on he became a sahabi. He said, I believe in seven gods. Alright? And then he explained, where did the seven come from? He said, there's six on earth and one in the heavens. One for children, one for giving children, one for giving food, fulan, 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 fulan. Right? This six on the earth and one in the heavens. Okay, when things push comes to shove, when everything falls apart, who do you turn to? He asked. He was asked. And he said, I turn to the one in the sky. Right? So look at that. Allah says in the Quran, وَلَئِنْ سَأَلْتُ مَنْ خَلَقَ السَّمَاوَاتِ وَالْأَرْضِ If you ask this mushrikeen, who created the heavens and the earth? لَا يَقُولُنَّ اللَّهِ Most definitely they'll say, Allah has created it. But today, what are we seeing? An increasing number of the population of the world is becoming atheist, has already become atheist. So they are definitely worse than the mushrikun. Because the mushrikun would say, there's one God who created the world, but then there are other gods as well. مَا نَعْبُدُهُمْ إِلَّا لِيُقَرِّبُونَ إِلَى اللَّهِ زُلْفَى We worship these, fa- these gods, these idols. We worship them so that they can get us in touch with Allah. So these are our middlemen. But they still acknowledged Allah. But now, humanity is unfortunately, increasingly becoming from amongst the, those who reject the very notion that there is a creator of this universe. How sad. 1991 or 1992, the census were showing that only 6% of the U.S. population was uh, unaffiliated with any church, mosque, synagogue, temple, whatever. Right? 6%. I mean, 94% of Americans 
in 1991, 92, early 90s, were connected to a place of worship of some sort, identified themselves as uh, a, a, a part of a, some religious belief, faith group. 30 years later, just three decades later, over 30% now say they are not affiliated. From 6% to over 30%. In the past 30 years, we have lost over 100 million people to atheism. In this country, in this country, in the past 30 years, a hundred million people. Not, not even mushrik, that's what I'm trying to say. As crazy as all this stuff sounds like, but they all believed in Allah and other things. And we are at a place where people don't even believe in Allah. They just believe in themselves. That's it. The nafs has become the God. The nafs has become God. Someone was telling me, how do you explain to someone who doesn't believe in God and how LGBTQ is, is invalid and is incorrect? I'm like, listen, that's a secondary discussion. Why are we even talking about that? We've got some bigger problems right now. If you don't believe in divine power, if you don't believe in a God, let's focus on that. Because that's way more important than discussing LGBTQ. So this is the issue. That, you know, you cannot, the, the first lesson, Alif Ba is forgotten from the Ummah. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala guide the Ummah. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala you know, remove the veils from the people's eyes. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala save us from ever falling into any type of doubt ourselves. Amin Rabbil Alameen. So, they asked, why is an angel coming? Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, He mentions, If we were to even send a prophet as an angel, we would have to still make him into a human being because you as humans, you cannot see angels. We can't see jinn, we can't see angels. Jinns are made out of fire, angels are made out of nur, we're not meant to see them. Okay? This is kind of like uh, the irony of the whole thing. You want, an angel, you want a prophet and the angel, but angels can't be seen. So if I were to even make up an angel, I'd have to still give him what? Human characteristics for you to be able to see him because he would no longer be an angel if you could see and interact with him. If all of them would be an angel and they're sitting down, come and let's eat, please. He sits down and eat with you. How is he an angel? Right? When Lut alayhi salam's story, right? When uh, uh, they, uh, they, uh, Ibrahim alayhi salam, sorry, he came and no, Lut alayhi salam's story and Ibrahim alayhi salam's story, both of them, you have the angels coming there. And when they're invited for food, they said, no, we can't eat. So he got scared. Ibrahim alayhi salam got scared. Why, why are you not wanting to eat? <laughs> right? Because this is usually guests would do. And the, 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 why is it? Because we're angels, we can't eat, right? So if a prophet were to be sent down, he had to be a human being because that's the only way you could connect with him. What type of arrogance that no, we want to see Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala face to face. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, You know what? These people have truly become very, very arrogant within themselves. Istakbara. So the, this word here, kabura, kabura maqtan, when something is, uh, you know, large and big, you use the word kabura. And when someone is acting arrogant and wants to show off and wants to show his greatness in front of other people, that will be called takabara. And when a person does not have anything worthy of becoming big, he has nothing in him to make him haughty and arrogant, yet he chooses to do so, that's called istakbara. Alright? So a person just becoming in size, you know, just, become, just showing, showing off and becoming arrogant, that's what we call mutakabir. But someone who's got nothing inside him, and yet he chooses to look down upon others, etc., that's called istakbara. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, لَقَدْ إِسْتَكْبَرُوا They have nothing in them, they have no quality that should make them worthy of 
uh, great uh, of arrogance. Yet they are they have this arrogance within them. kabira, and they have insolently defied with the greatest insolence. Look at how many how how many times Allah has mentioned this. kabira, right? That they have crossed all boundaries of oppression against Allah's deen, crossed all boundaries of of, of, of being honest with themselves. So, uh, so this is why Utuwan Kabira has been mentioned that these people are not only oppressing one another, they are oppressing the Nabi of Allah, and rather they are even oppressing Allah. Yani they are oppressing Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala's deen. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala mentions in one hadith Qudsi that uh, Allah, or, or, or rather Rasulullah mentions regarding Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, Inna Allah yuhibbu thalathan wa yibghidhu thalatha. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala loves three and hates three. Yubghidhu al-shaykh al-zani. Allah hates an elderly person who commits zina. Meaning zina is a horrible sin. But when committed by an elder, that's even worse and makes a person more worthy of Allah's anger. Wal-faqeer al-mukhtal. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala dislikes an arrogant person. But wal-faqeer al-mukhtal. Someone who doesn't have much in terms of wealth and yet he is arrogant. Allah Azza wa dislikes him even more because we can understand that wealthy he's been tested with a fitna of wealth and he, he failed what are you being tested with? a faqir who doesn't have much wealth but inside his heart he's arrogant so he Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala hates this faqir who's arrogant even more than the average arrogant person bakhil, and or, the one Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala dislikes people who are stingy but the one who has a lot of wealth and then he's stingy Allah Azza wa dislikes him even more because he has the ability to part from his wealth. He has more than enough. He can afford to give a little bit here and there. But due to his stinginess, he doesn't give anywhere. So the idea is that there are individuals who uh, have nothing worthy of becoming arrogant. Yet they are arrogant and those are the people who gain Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala's wrath even more. يَوْمَ يَرُونَ الْمَلَائِكَةَ Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says something powerful here. He says, these people, they, they keep on saying, we want to see the angel, we want to see the angel. Okay. You're going to see the angel. Not today, but a little bit later. The day they will see the angels, there shall be no glad tidings on that day for the defiant unbelievers. La bushra. No glad tidings. Yawma even on that day. Lil mujrimin for the defiant unbelievers. Rather, the angels will say to these people, Hijram mahjura. May a barrier bar you from all bliss. May a huge wall come and envelop you from all directions and bar you from enjoying any blessing of the Akhirah. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is, is mentioning that these people are the ones who say, we will not accept the message of the Prophet until we see angels. Well, there is a time when you will see the angels, but it's not going to be here, it's going to be at the time of death. And when you will see that an angels at the time of death, they will not be the angels of mercy. They will be the angels of adab. Those who will come to pull, off the, pull out the soul of a disbeliever or a sinful person, they will, they will themselves, as Allah says, that those people who the angels will descend to come and take their soul out, in a state that they were sinful, in a state that they were disbelievers, oppressing themselves. The angels will say, What were you doing? What were you doing? Where have you been? What were you doing? They will give excuses. We are all great at giving excuses, right? Ask me, ask yourself, why didn't you pray Isha? Why did you miss your Fajr? Why did you not pay your Zakat? Why were you disrespectful to your mother? Why did you speak harshly to your spouse? Why did you do this? We all have a hundred excuses. 
So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will say, the angels, when he will pull, they will pull the soul out of the, of the sinful person, they'll say, look at your book of deeds. Replete with so many sin. What were you doing? Sorry. We were oppressed on earth. You see, you don't understand. This was, you know, this is 2024, 2023, cell phone era. And this is America. This is, this is the fittest, the survival of the fittest. And you know, we are trying to chase the American dream. And we came with, our parents came with very little money. And we have to worry about our children's college education. And da, 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 all this stuff. You know, this is not a Muslim land. So the only way you can succeed here is if you have money. And that's the only way anyone will give us respect. And in order to have money, that means I could not go for Jummah. Okay, go ask the businesses. Seriously, just ask the Muslim businesses around. How many of them? Just today I went to a Muslim business. SubhanAllah. I said, I'm, I'm from Darussalam. Oh, ya khiyo, SubhanAllah. Too busy. I've never gone there for Jummah. I want to always go, but yani, can't go. Like, what are you doing? That's what's happening all around us. Just around us. A mile, two, three miles ago, you'll see this. People are busy. Why are you busy? Why can't you close the shop and come? Because this is America. You know, what's going to happen? If, if we, the only way to survive is we have money. Otherwise, our children will be forced to leave the deen, etc., etc. Shaitan is misleading us. So this is the answer. They'll say, Kunna fil ard. We were oppressed on the earth. That's not our fault. The answer will be, Kunna Wasn't Allah's earth expensive? The only place in the entire world was your address? Your zip code? Your country? Wasn't Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala's world expensive? فَتُهَاجِرُوا fiha. You could have traveled anywhere you wanted. Who told you you had to stick to where you, were sticking, where you stayed? Think about that. Hijrah for the sake of deen. If you cannot practice your deen where you are, then you are, not, you are not wedded to that place as much as you may think you are. And if we think we are, the angels will set the record straight at the time of death. Because that's what they're going to be saying. It's mentioned in the 14th Jews, Surah Al-Nahal. فَتُهَاجِرُوا fiha. Why did you not travel? The end result of such disbelievers will be hellfire. And what a horrible place to go to. And then the soul will not want to come out when he will see the angel of death. And the angel of death will not only come with himself, he will come with his whole army. Who is his army? Depending on who the soul is, the army will come. Based on the customer. So if the soul is headed towards Iliyin, the place of where the good souls are kept, then beautiful, extremely well-dressed, extremely fragrant, uh, angels will come. As Imam Qurtubi mentions many narrations about this, but he says simply looking at the beauty of those angels, smelling their amazing fragrance, looking at their demeanor and their charisma, it will be as though this, that vision itself will be sufficient as a reward for all the good a man has done in this world. He'll say, Bas, I get to see this, this is awesome. And the flip side of it, of course, is the opposite. So when these people, when the, when the dying man sees this, the nafs will want to come out. They say, I don't want to stay here, not for one extra moment, not even if I am sitting on the throne of a king. I cannot. What is this compared to this? What is waiting for me in akhirah? And the nafs will itself want to jump out. The ruh will want to jump out. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala mentions all of this in different places of the Quran, of the way this, this, this ruh will be honored. On the flip side of it, that soul who is headed towards Sijin, where the sinners are kept, then Malakul Maut will come with that group, that army, that their faces will be so ugly. They will have such a strong stench. They will be coming with chisels and axes from, from Akhirah or from Jahannam to scrape out the soul. And they will come with a very thorny box for, for the soul to be placed in. That if a person were to look at them at that site, 
itself, he will think that this is sufficient of a punishment for my sins I have committed. But this isn't this, the punishment has not even begun yet. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, the angels say, Akhriju anfusakum. Come out. You know a little child who's scared, who doesn't want to go to the doctor's appointment, he's hiding under the bed. Oh, like a, or a cat that doesn't want to go to the vet, is hiding. This is how the soul is going to hide. Go deep inside the body. And Allah Azza wa says, يَضْرِبُونَ وُجُوهَهُمْ وَأَدْبَارَهُمْ The angels are going to be hitting their faces and their backsides. Pulling out the soul. أَخْرِجُوا Take it out, take it out. And with much difficulty, they will actually push the soul out of the body. While the, the soul doesn't knows that what's waiting for me is much, 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 much worse than any type of punishment I have ever seen in this world or any human has ever seen. Today, the angels will say, you're going to be punished with the punishment of disgrace. Because of your arrogance you had on earth. Because of the arrogant way you led your life, now today we're going to sort you out. So those who say that we want to see angels, Allah is telling them, you will see angels. But the venue will be different. The, era, the time will be different. And it will be a time when you wish you had never had to come face to face with these angels. يَوْمَ يَرُونَ malaika. So when they will see the angels, they will hear that the angels are giving glad tidings for the people of Jannah. Right? People of Jannah. They will say, subhanAllah, uh, oh, can I, can I come in line? You know, someone's handing out candy, someone's handing out for, uh, prizes, some other, some other person shows up in line, can I have? They say, no, 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 no. This is not for you. You go that side. So when they, when they will hear the angels giving the glad tidings to the people of Jannah, these disbelievers will quickly rush in to be in the line. And the angels will look at them and say, Ah, la bushra. There is absolutely no glad tidings for you. You are in the wrong line. Rather, hijra mahjura. We want nothing to do from you. We pray that a, bu- a huge barrier should bar you. We don't want to see your face. And may you never have to, may you never be allowed to enter Jannah. May a barrier surround you. This is the curse of the angels. Waqadimna ilama amilu bin amal. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, and we shall turn the deeds that they have done. Amilu min amal, whatever deeds they have done, we will turn to those deeds. We will turn our attention. And turn them into scattered dust. You know, haba'an is dust. When you see the sunlight coming through the window and you see the dust there, how it's all over, floating around. You cannot capture that. It's of no use. And it's all in teeny tiny particles. All the good deeds that a man or a woman without iman has done, Allah Azza wa Jal instantaneously will put a cross through it. You have 10 billion, imagine you put a cross through the one. What happens? Zero. If that Allah is not present, if that iman is not present in front of those actions, all those actions will become instantaneously zero. Now a person will see that in the dunya there are many who are not Muslims or who are not believers in La ilaha illallah Muhammad Rasulullah but they do many good deeds. Well guess what? If you do good deeds you'll get rewarded for it in this akhir, in this dunya. Someone does good deeds he will get fame he will get name he will be memorialized there will be a statue created for him there will be a memorial created for him his name will be mentioned on a plaque right? He will make tons of money uh, they will make a, have a day set for celebrating his life and the list goes on. 
Allah Azza wa Jal has made this world a place of asbab. Remember this important point. Allah has made this world a place of asbab. Whatever effort you make in, you will reap the rewards of it. You will reap the fruits of it. would say that this ayah can be taken in a general context as well. That whatever effort you make, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will allow you to become succeed. Succeed in that. If someone, Allah forbid, says, I want to become the greatest scam artist. I want to become the greatest thief. Guess what? You work hard enough for it, you will become that. This is the place of dunya. So the disbelievers have made a lot of effort today, in this, right now, and in the past as well. And they have banked on that, and they've made tons, they've cashed out on that. They've cashed out in terms of dividends, in terms of money, in terms of fame, in terms of name, in terms of world dominance. So they, they cannot say on the day of judgment, whoa, 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 we help people. Well, you got what you deserved. You got what you wanted. That is why you know the famous hadith, where on the day of judgment, where a person does deeds for someone besides Allah. He was generous, but not for Allah. He was a scholar, but not for Allah. He was a mujahid, but not for Allah. You've heard this famous hadith. On the day of judgment, Allah Azza wa Jal will ignite fire through these three people first. That the Jahannam will be ignited by scholars. Jahannam will be ignited by philanthropic people. Jahannam will be ignited by people who became shaheed and martyred in Allah's, in Allah's path, but it was not Allah's path. Imagine that. This is that you have start a barbecue with starters, fires, to start up the fire, you throw in the small twigs, you put lighter fluid. This, the lighter fluid of Jahannam is who? The lighter fluid of Jahannam is, is, is insincere scholars. May Allah protect us. Insincere, generous people. May Allah protect us. And insincere people who gave their life up in so-called shaheed, but they're not shaheed. Right? May Allah save us from becoming in any of these three categories. But what, is, what will Allah tell them? You lie. Don't say you did it for me. You did it for name and fame and you got what you wanted. Right? That's what will be told for all three. You did fa'alta ma'fa'alt. You did what you wanted so that people go say you're generous. And that's what happened. The word on the street was you're a very philanthropic, wealthy man. Everyone was talking about you. You got what you wanted. Number two, you wanted people to say you're a great scholar. And you, got, you wanted people to say you're a great qari. Everyone is praising you. You got all the likes on the internet. You have people left and right trying to give you gifts, impressed by you. You got what you wanted. What, there's nothing for you here. And the other person who ended up giving his life, Ya Allah, I gave my life for you. No, he didn't. You did it simply because you wanted to be called the most courageous uh, hero who became shaheed. And so after you died, people remembered you fondly. People spoke about you highly. Done. You got what you wanted. You got nothing waiting for you in the akhirah. So similarly, all of those people, disbelievers who did not have iman, any action that they'll do without iman, the same will be told to them, haba'a manthura, that we have turned them into scattered dust. You've got nothing. What about, what about all that I did for the dunya? Uh, in the dunya, I'm sorry, it's all, you already have been cashed out. My dear brothers and sisters, that is why it's so important that we never equate what a believer does and what a non-believer does. Don't ever allow your tongue to say, Oh my God, non-Muslims are so much better than Muslims in this. Non-Muslims are like this, non-Muslims are like that. We hear this statement many times. That people say, The akhlaq of non-Muslims are much better. The philanthropy of non-Muslims are much better. The, 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 fulan of, the, the, the efforts of non-Muslims in this regard are much better. And Muslims, we are behind. We're useless. They have the dunya, we have the akhirah. That doesn't mean we should not make an effort. But please understand, someone who does not have iman cannot be equated with someone who has only one speck of good deeds with iman. Because the person who died without faith on the day of judgment, he will have absolutely nothing to look forward to. Ashabul Jannah. Oh, people of Jahannam, you saw the angels? Sorry, you cannot stand in that line. You move over. The people of Jannah. Because when Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala always speaks about the people of hellfire, He will follow it up with the people of Jannah to end on a 
good note, ho a hopeful note, Ashabul Jannah, rather the companions of the everlasting garden of paradise on that day, Yawma Idin means on that day, Khairun Mustaqarra shall be in the best place, Mustaqarran of residence, Wa'ahsanu Maqila, and the fairest state of repose. Okay, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala calls the people of Jannah Ashabul Jannah here. Why is that? It's because, like you have. Someone who is a sahib, sati, means you're always with them. People of Jannah will remain in Jannah all the time. That's why Ashabul Maymana is mentioned in the Quran. Ashabul Mash'ama, right? Ashab in Surah Al Waqi'ah. Sahib means someone who is with someone. So the people of Jannah means they are people who will be owners of Jannah, if I can call it that. That they will never be exiled from Jannah. Number two, Ashabul Jannah means that just like a companion loves a companion, these people not only are entering Jannah, but Jannah likes them and is waiting for them and desires them. As Rasulullah mentioned, that certain Sahaba are such that the Jannah is waiting to receive them. Al Jannah to tashtaqu ilayhim. The Jannah is actually waiting for the day that it can welcome these companions of the Prophet. That is why Ashab has been used here. On that day, the people of Jannah will be in far superior state than the people of hell. In two things, mustaqarran means a place of residence. Meaning your full long-term residence will be much better, naturally. Maqila, you know the word qailula, the siesta, what you do in the, the daytime, short daytime nap. What happens is mustaqarran usually is your, ma, your husband, wife, kids, everyone at home. All whole family's got a house. Maqila, when a person does qailula, what happens? You're, you got your own little spot. Because you're traveling, you're at work, or you're in the farm, you're somewhere out in the fields. You have no one there, it's just you and you're just resting with a brick under your, as a pillow. You know, or whatever it may be. So, maqila gives, gives you the meaning of just a very secluded private place. So, Jannah will have public places where you will be able to enjoy time with your family, and enjoy time with your guests. And then Jannah, of course, has places in which is your private penthouse where there's no one there besides yourself. In both of these cases, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says the people of Jannah will be far superior in, 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 in terms of uh, the ending than anyone of the, of the people of Jahannam. Right? So this is where we will end inshallah our four verses that we uh, covered today. We ask Allah Azza wa to make us all the people of Jannah and, and, and save us from having the characteristics and the qualities of the people of, of Hellfire. Ameen, Rabbil Alameen. If you did not get the text message or you don't get the weekly tafsir updates your first time joining here, please scan the QR code. Additionally, if you do not get any of the other messages for Sunday school, Tafim program, a Team Fajr, etc., etc., then please scan the Masjid events uh, group uh, QR code over here. If you're, it's not working for you for some reason right now, it's on the TVs outside. It is outside on the, on the office wall as well. So those who are listening online, you can take a moment to take a picture of this as well. Uh, Alhamdulillah, our Sunday school is now open. We had our first session this Saturday. We have still some slots open. High school, the high school there are definitely is open slots in some of the lower grades as well. Alhamdulillah, I was so happy to see parents, family members driving from 50, 45 to 50 minutes to attend Sunday school. It was very, a very powerful message, mashallah, that they, the, the value that they have. So I encourage those who are even much nearer than 45 minutes away to bring your 6 to 16 year olds especially your neighbors, reach out to your neighbors who might, who even if they are not regular in the masjid at all, take this opportunity to visit them and invite them to Sunday school. We have a parallel adults program taking place on Sunday. So while the children attend the Sunday school, the parents can attend the Sunday track of the Tafim program taught by Mawlana Farhan Sharif, inshallah. Thursdays we have our Durush Sharif program. Um, and alhamdulillah, this is our new community events for brothers. On Tuesdays we have for sisters. 
And tomorrow, inshallah, will be basketball for volleyball for the brothers. And Thursday will be eight to ten will be for the brothers basketball. On Tuesday nights is for sisters, just in case we may not be aware of it. Alhamdulillah, that's what's happening Saturday morning, five forty-five Fajr. We have our team Fajr program every week. And then Alhamdulillah, at the end of the month, we'll be honored to be hosting Mulan Ibrahim Pandor, Damad Barakatuhum. He will be visiting Darul Salam on Sunday morning, inshallah, after Fajr. And then Sunday after Maghrib, this is, sun, um, this is Sunday, October 1st, inshallah, tabarak wa ta'ala. Jazakumullah khairah. We ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to accept all these programs and make them powerful and beneficial for all. Subhanallah, bihamdi, subhanakallah, bihamdik. Nashadu la ilaha illa anta, nastaghfiruka wa natubu ilayk. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh.